All right, so tonight I'm going to talk about being used. There's supposed to be a picture. Um, hey, is that, have you ever seen a toy like that? Dog usually or a rabid child? One of those two things. You were one of those? So we're going to talk about being used. I was in the eighth grade. I know that seems impossible for me to be the size of an eighth grader, but it, it was possible. I had a girlfriend. And you notice Megan's not here because we're not telling her about that. She doesn't know. So eighth grade. Shh. You better not. It was as serious as eighth grade relationships get. We held hands in the hallway. We went to movies on Fridays. She even let me kiss her. On the cheek. (laughs) You guys freaked out way too soon. Uh, So we were dating for an eighth grade eternity. Two months. Longest two months of my life. Truth. And then, flip of a light switch, over. I'm like, ah, right in the feels. You know what I'm saying? But I was, I was determined to get over it, but I didn't know it was about to get worse. You see, the next day, I walked into school. She's holding hands with another guy. The next day! So it turns out this friend who had gone to the movies with us a couple times, she was only using me to get close to him. I got used. It's messed up, right? It worked out. She's a terrible person and I married Megan, so it's fine, really. (laughs) But being used in our society really doesn't have a great connotation, right? I mean... Somebody's manipulating you to get what they want. How do you feel when you're used like that? Embarrassed? That's a good one. Angry. Ashamed. I heard ashamed, I think. That's good. But it doesn't feel great, obviously. And the closer you are to that person, the worse it feels. How do you feel when you hear about being used by God? Same feeling? No. Yeah, you should be happy. It could have that same feeling, but it shouldn't. So there are two things that typically stop us from being used. Anybody guess? Oh, come on. I thought silence, really? Do you feel like you're good enough? Not usually. And availability. Right? So let's address... Both of these. Let me break some hard news to you. You're not good enough. You're not. That's the fact. What you think about yourself in a context of spirituality is 100% true. You're not good enough. But stick with me. You and I are wicked sinners. We could never even get close to what God's standard is. Romans 3.10 says, no one is righteous, not even one. 
And then Romans 3.23, just 13 verses later, says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. You're not good enough. Neither am I. If that was the whole story, we can all agree that would be like the most depressing thing you'd ever heard at church. But it's not the whole story. Satan often speaks bold and direct lies to us. But a lot of times he's craftier than that. He takes the truth, about half of it, and then he twists it. Right? Just like the Garden of Eden. Often we are plagued with doubts of I'm not good enough. We are told it a twisted version of that truth. Yes, you're not good enough. But that's not the end of the story. When we fail constantly, we fail constantly to serve the Lord. Jesus never failed. He lived his life in total and complete submission to his Father. Jesus was completely blameless and perfect. He is the very righteousness of God. So when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we confess our unworthiness. We confess that we are sinners who are not good enough. So this is why we need Jesus. In the grade of life, you've gotten a zero, but Jesus gave you his 100. So we live our lives for Jesus and we face the nagging, reoccurring voice that you're not good enough. But when that happens, this is the first time you're going to hear it in church. Agree with Satan and then tell him the other half. You are not good enough. You can tell him I'm not good enough and I know that. But God has given me a path through Jesus and Jesus is way good enough. We see some of that in Ephesians 2, 3 through 5. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace You've been saved. Good enough? Not by yourself. I'm not. I'll admit it. Are you able to do what God has planned for you? Not by yourself. But Jesus is. So every time you think you're not good enough, just remember Jesus is. Ephesians 2.10 For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. We are God's masterpiece. We're created new in order to be used. You see the word planned in there, right? It's right there on the board. In order to be used. So for some reason that doesn't satisfy you, I haven't convinced you that you can be good enough, just remember, here's a few reminders. Jacob was a cheater and a liar, and he stole the inheritance from his brother, and he lied to his dad. But then he started the 12 tribes of Israel. Peter had a temper so bad that he cut off a soldier's ear 
that Jesus had to heal. And then he preached a sermon that saved 3,000 people. King David had an affair and then subsequently had her husband killed. But he's also described as a man after God's own heart. Jonah ran from God. We all know that story, swallowed by a big fish. At the end of the story, he saves 120,000 people from sure destruction. Paul was a murderer, or at least an accessory to murder. He wrote the majority of the New Testament. Martha was a worrier. Anxiety at its core. So if you think you have anxiety, you're not as bad as Martha, I guarantee it. She was also of the first to see Jesus and trusted to spread that message after the resurrection. You see, God has a tendency to recruit from the pit, not the pedestal. So according to what the Bible says, you're now good enough, or you can be, through Jesus. But are you available? We often struggle with our ability. Am I good enough? Can I do it? But it's not your ability that matters to God. It's your availability. So let's look at the story of Isaiah. But I'm going to take a drink real quick. So Isaiah's ministry was entering a politically unstable era. He needed directions, and he gets a vision of the temple. He sees God and some seraphim, which, for those of you that don't know, those are six-winged angels. And the seraphim begin to speak in Isaiah 6.3. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. This is Isaiah talking. It's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. So a few things really pop out to me in that passage. First thing is his superhuman reaction of fear. He's scared. He sees God and he's terrified. But why is he terrified? He's so painfully aware of his unholiness in the presence of God. He could have played the comparison game like we all do, right? Well, you know what she did last weekend. I'm better than her, right? No problem. But that's not what he did. And he could have. I mean, of all the people in the world, Isaiah was probably one of the best at that time, to be fair. But he didn't. Because when he saw the perfect holiness of God, there was no comparison. And although Isaiah was better than the most people, he knew that he was filthy compared to God. He admitted he was a sinner. He didn't make excuses. He didn't blame anyone else. And he didn't run and hide. But God didn't allow him to suffer either. 
he acted in mercy. He took that hot coal and put it on his lips. In my mind, I can hear his flesh kind of sizzle, but that's a little sick, to be honest. And maybe he was screaming a little bit because his mouth is closed. I'm just like, mm. that's just me. That didn't happen. It was just a vision, but I just kind of in my mind. <laughs> his guilt was taken away, atoned for. Isaiah sees his sin. He's crushed under the weight of that sin. He cries out for salvation, throws his pride to the side and repents. For many of us, our failure to acknowledge our current sin and need for a savior stop us from operating in God's plan. And finally, he is willingly available to be sent. God asked, whom shall I send? It wasn't a command, no divine command, no demand. He didn't say, you're going. It was a question. Whom shall I send? And Isaiah could have took his own righteousness and been like, I'm good, you know, I'm saved, I'm out. Don't we do that a lot of times? Worried about working on ourselves, what, we, what do we have in our life that we need to kind of dig through? We forget about the friend sitting next to us that's going to hell. He didn't. He answered that call. It's only after Isaiah was cleansed that he says, here I am, send me. Prior to that point, he knew he was an unworthy messenger. But as soon as he was cleansed, he realized that he needed to go and share. He immediately desired to serve the Lord in whatever way possible. Because we forget about the greater mission. Found people, find people, Right? If we're only stuck in our own happiness about being saved and we're walking past everybody at school every day and not worrying about their eternity, what does that tell you about your heart? So I brought a couple things. This one's a little messed up. Could I get you two? Yeah, that'd be awesome. Hold it by the corners. Then you could hold this one. Like up so everybody can see it. Preferably. Like not, don't look through it. That's messed up. It's my favorite blankie. No, I brought a couple things. These are my daughter, Maya's. She's my oldest. So she's owned both of these blankets before she, since before she was born. So six and a half years, but obviously she didn't. Use them before she was born. That'd be weird. Which one do you think she uses more? Right? It's pretty obvious. Which one do you think she likes more? It's pretty easy. Easy questions. 100% on that quiz. Good job. Which one do you think was sitting on a shelf that she couldn't reach? So which one was available to her? That one, just just this one. Oh, sorry. I'm partially blamed for that hole, but she still loves that holy tattered blanket. She actually kind of fought me about taking it tonight. 
but we already had an agreement, so I stole it and made her cry. (laughs) Don't give your word if you're not willing to go follow through, I guess. And in a spiritual and eternal sense, which would you rather be? A little battered and torn or clean and pristine? Are you available to be used by God? Are you a trophy or a tool? Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. I've got some news for you. God didn't call you as a Christian to be a trophy on his shelf of victories. He doesn't want you just sitting on the shelf. He doesn't want you clean and pristine, something that's been won by God and only sits there and doesn't do anything else. He wants you to be a device that's for a particular purpose, one that he lined out before you were even alive. How do we practically make ourselves available? The biggest factor in availability is proximity. Just like Maya with that blanket. The one that got used was the one that was at her eye level or on the floor, not on the shelf that she couldn't reach. It had to be in a convenient place within a short distance. Didn't matter how nice this one was or the fact that it cost seven times as much. She didn't care. She liked that one because she could get to it. Accessibility is so vital to being used. Kind of reminds me of a little story. It's kind of a weird story, but I'm going to tell you it anyway. Because you have to listen. Guy goes out and he, (laughs) he applies to be a handyman. Brings him in for an interview. He says, hey, you do any carpentry? Applicants like, no, never done carpentry a day in my life. What about like masonry, bricklaying, anything like that? Nope. Electrical? No, no, not at all. The guy looks at him and says, what's so handy about you? You're applying to be a handyman. I live around the corner. So much of accessibility. It's not that he was available for a job. It's that he was close. He could be there like that. Just like when God whispers in your ear, you should be able to be there like that. You should be within whisper shot of God. You shouldn't be far enough away that he has to yell at you, smack you in the head from 20 feet away and be like, come see me. You should be within whisper distance. An accessible person is in great demand. Just like real estate is in great demand for a good location, right? So where are we in relation to God is essential to be used by him. We must be near him to be used. So what does it mean to be near to God? It means we become conscious of God's presence and we have an open heart to listen. Those whose hearts are tuned to God are close to God. How do you get close to God? How do you get close to anybody? How many real friends do you have that you don't snap, tweet, text, Facebook? It's kind of old school, I'm sorry. Instagram, or maybe even talk to. 
Like, that's cool. I like talking to people. Zero, though, right? There's not very many friends that you have that you never talk to. You got to do the same to God. You got to communicate with Him. Communication and connection through that communication is the only way to draw near to Him and be in proximity to be used. You got to take each step. Siblings who are, you know, under the same roof doesn't mean they have a great relationship if they don't talk to each other, right? You have to be close to God, talking to Him through prayer, reading the Bible on a daily. I'm guilty of not doing that every day, sometimes. We all are. You have to make it a priority if you actually want to be close to God. Are you close enough to be a tool? Are you even close enough to be used? I don't know. Maybe the question shouldn't be, are you a trophy or a tool? Maybe it should be, what do you want to be? Would you rather be a trophy or a tool? Are you content with being that trophy that sits on the shelf and does nothing? Or would you rather be the tool that is beaten and even maybe broken to further the kingdom of God? It's up to you. It's in your hands. All you have to do is draw near to him and he will draw near to you so quick. And then you're close enough to be used. Go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes.